I think my calling is to write songs that help people see God and sing to him. And I'm trying to do that in the most creative and truthful way that I can. Yeah. In our worship songs, we tend to just talk about me and Jesus here and now. So a lot of our songs, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. But if that's all you ever sing, that's problematic. The Profile with Premier Christianity Magazine. You're listening to The Profile here on Premier Christian Radio. I'm Sam Hales, editor of Premier Christianity, and I'm joined by a very special guest this week on the show. I'm here with Matt Redman, who is a Grammy award-winning worship leader and songwriter. He's been a leading contributor to the Global Church's songbook over the past 20 years, best known for writing classics including... Blessed Be Your Name, Our Gods, and 10,000 Reasons. His 14th full-length album is released this weekend, and it's called Lamb of God. It can be found in all the usual places and streaming platforms, and it includes the singles Son of Suffering, The Praise Is Yours, and also my personal favourite, Halfway Empty. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Nice to be back with you. I'm going to start with what your record label said about the, about this this album, which is, it is the most unique and immersive experience Redman has done as an artist. What does that mean? Why is this record so special? Wow. <laughs> I didn't know they said that. That's great. I think that um, they might be referring to where we recorded it. We had a real um, special opportunity to record at a place called The Mission in San Juan Capistrano, Southern California. And... Um, this place goes back to 1776, uh, which as an English person, it's not, not as impressive, right? But it's a good effort. It's a, it's a very good effort. And uh, the chapel there is the oldest standing building in California, uh, oldest standing working building in California. And um, the, the mission itself is basically the, the birthplace of what we now call Orange County. And it's just it's a wonderful setting, just, just absolutely stunning and inspiring visually and um yeah they were very very kind and allowed us to have the day there and record this uh this new album so you know hopefully the songs are gonna resonate with people but it was a real treat to get to record in such an inspiring setting and you as you say you recorded it in in video as well as audio and i've seen some of the the videos and the setting kind of looks biblical it looks as if you could yeah. be in jerusalem in the first century which i don't know does that does that add something as well yeah it's funny because that's the comment we get a lot is it it looks like did you record that in israel or um which uh would be a whole another another whole budget entirely if we did um and actually we have a, a video uh coming out which is uh, we teamed up with the chosen, and we it was a beautiful thing because they approached us, and we realized, oh, we could do a video with some of their footage, some of, some of ours, and it kind of matches up pretty well. Right. Like yeah, it does. I, I was privileged to go down to Texas uh, not too long ago and see the set of the chosen. Oh um, wow! And it is amazing what they've what they've built, and as you say, it it matches really nicely. So there you go. That was serendipitous, shall we say, a providential yeah. that that Amazing. lined up. You spoke a little bit there about how you, you hope the songs will be received. How do you define success as, as a worship leader? Because if I was speaking to someone in the mainstream, they'd just tell me, well, I want, you know, X number of streams or X amount of money in my bank account. It's, it's a bit different for you as a worship leader. Are you more writing and releasing songs with a view to these songs being picked up 
by worship leaders on a Sunday morning. How do you, what's, what's your aim when you, when you release a, a bunch of new songs like this? Yeah. Uh, when I release an album, in many ways, I don't even think of myself as an artist. Like really, I'm, I'm making albums because it's about the songs and it's about um, trying to see if you can help people talk to God and see God through song. And so for me, yeah, when, if a, if some churches start singing them and they feel like helpful ways of doing that, that's, that's a beautiful um, blessing. And then um, honestly, the stories that come back is what they're one of the biggest things, you know, you, you, they outweigh everything else. And some of the stories that, you know, I love the immeasurable stuff in life. You can't put it on a chart. And some of the stories that come back, someone may be walking through the most intense moment of their life and this a little simple song becomes a soundtrack for them in that moment. It's kind of humbling, inspiring. Uh, I don't know. You can't get much more encouragement than that. It's kind of a mystery. You know, how can these little words and a few chords and this mean so much in a moment like that? And uh, it's just God's blessing of music, I guess. Um, but absolutely, yeah, that that that's that's the thing that tops it all off. We're going to talk uh, lots about the, the new album as we go through, but here on the profile, we like to go back to the beginning and just hear a little bit of someone's early story and testimony. And um, can we start with life growing up for you? Were you born into a, a Christian family or or did Christian faith come a bit later for you? Yeah, my mum and dad were not churchgoers, um, but our uh, my, my brother and I, our friends were all going to church. A church called St Andrews in Chorley Wood, and so we basically dragged them along there. They became Christians, but then sadly I lost my dad when I was seven years old. He actually took his own life. Um, but it's interesting because even at that very young age, there was something about God and faith starting to form in me. And then, age ten, I went to a Lewis Palau rally at QPR football stadium, um, gave my life to Christ. Really, just heard the gospel presented in a way that um i thought was amazing and he talks a lot about the father heart of god in that in that message so that was that was a uh fantastic thing for me to hear in that moment um and then my teenage years were even more turbulent just a lot of family disarray and and um i was so glad that i already knew god by then like in even in the the toughest moments i knew enough of him to know that he's good and he's hasn't left the scene he's still in control i don't think i could have put it into words in that way but deep down inside there was a stabilizing factor of of uh, of faith and actually it's kind of what got me into music and worship and songs because the most helpful thing for me of everything was these worship songs we were singing at church and so that's why I wanted to play the songs at home because it would do me so much good. Then I started writing songs because that became just a lovely way of processing everything. And um, so I didn't start writing songs for albums or even congregations. I started writing songs because I needed to and because they seemed to be the most helpful way of me talking to God. It strikes me both in, in history and in, in your own catalogue of songs often some of the most powerful songs are the songs that come out of those really awful times in life. I mean, you mentioned losing your father and taking his, his own life when you were just seven years old. 
uh, and actually that kind of in some way throwing you more towards God and, and worship. And I know you've, you've spoken a lot in more latter years about a song like You Never Let Go and, and how that came out of a really painful moment for, for you and, and, and your wife and going through miscarriage. There's something about that, isn't there, in terms of God meeting us in our darkest moments and how you've been able to then take that tragedy and difficulty and, and throw it back into worship, which I think a lot of people are ama- amazed at because I think a lot of people think, well, especially non-Christians, they say, well, how, how can you still believe in God after after that happened in your, in your life? How, how do you respond to a kind of question like that? I think it's a simple equation sometimes of like um, there's elements of this which I don't understand and I would rather have not have gone through. I definitely wouldn't have volunteered for. So there's the element of mystery and God, why would you let this happen? But then on the other side of the scale, I've got God, look all the blessings in my life. Look how you pulled me out of this. Look how um, you provided this. Look how this thing fell into place. Um, For me, sometimes it, it is it, it, it's almost like a simple equation that stuff far outweighs the questions and the the doubts and the and the the problematic stuff you mentioned um growing up and starting to to write songs and, and obviously song survival was a huge part of your your upbringing in the church and and that event every year and in leading worship there what are your memories of an event like that um which for so many people, I mean, to today's church leaders, so many of today's church leaders can trace their beginnings in faith to an event like that, of actually singing those songs and being in that in that atmosphere and making commitments to God at, at an event like that. You must have many fond memories of growing up in that kind of environment. Yeah. I mean, the, the bit I try to block out is all the rain. You know, <laughs> camping in the rain year after year with thousands of other people. That's that's the part I try to block out. But the great stuff that I remember is just it felt like God breathing on something, and there was this sacred momentum that came. Just knowing this is definitely not of our own hands. We are not smart enough, efficient enough, clever enough with good marketing. You know, we this stuff. You know, tens of thousands of young people. Uh, gathering in a field in in England to worship God and encounter Him and pursue Him, this is definitely not of our own doing. And you know, I've seen what it looks like when we just kind of man-made momentum, right, or human-made momentum, however you want to say it. Like I, marketing machines and um, us with our best efforts, you know, you can get some traction of some kind with that kind of thing you know and do it with good motives um there's not necessarily anything wrong with that but when god reads on something it's a whole different thing there's a whole different dynamic it's like exponential growth um beautiful deep long-lasting life change and stories and so yeah when i think back that's what i think about i think about the breath of god i think wow he was so kind we were just doing our little thing and he just decided okay i'm going to breathe on this i'm going to make something of this i'm going to affect a lot of people's lives through this it's wonderful and that event finished in 2019 i don't think enough has been made of this really but mike pilavacci announced it was it was going to finish and you know i think he said there's there's a time and a season for everything he said god never promised to grow my soul survivor he just promised to grow his church and, and all that but i don't think enough has been made of the fact that mike did that before a global pandemic that would have made it 
it would have made it almost impossible to run it for the next two years anyway. And I don't think Mike's claiming any kind of prophetic insight there. But I remember at the t- at the time looking back thinking, what a year to close it. I mean, what what are your memories of that time? Were you were you shocked or disappointed when you heard, wow, this this event isn't going to be happening anymore? Yeah, I think timing is everything, and uh, probably avoided some major financial hassle and stress of all kinds um, by the timing of that. And I think, um, yeah, overall, you just trust God's um, hand to, you know, to do what he's going to do in the way he's going to do it. And um, yes, it's uh, be interested to see what comes up next. Tell me how you met your wife, Beth. Yes, uh, we met in the car park of St. Andrew's Church, Chorleywood, <laughs> which is kind of, uh, you know, a holy place to meet, right? She was in a in a evangelistic band traveling around doing uh, events in schools. And I was already the worship leader there at the church. And she came to our town and the rest is history. And I, I love that. Um, we didn't actually date for a while. In fact, she ended up joining the Worldwide Message Tribe up in Manchester, which kind of thwarted my plans for a little bit there. I was just about to ask her out, and then she disappeared for a few years. Oh but no! In in the end, it all came it all came good. It all came good in the end. And since since that moment, I n- noticed you've you've moved your family a couple of times between <laughs> between between. That's such, such a polite way of saying it. I, I noticed you seem to have. Uh, you, you seem to not be able to stay in one place. Uh, well, that, your, your words, not mine. Tell me more. Um, but especially between the US and the UK, there's, there's been yeah. quite a lot of basing yourself at different churches, different church plants. How do you make those sorts of decisions as to, you know, yeah. knowing it's time to move on and up sticks and start again? Yeah, if only the UK and USA were a few thousand miles close together, my life would have been a whole lot simpler. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, most of our moves have been around church plants and, you know, it's been quite an adventure planting in a couple of times in England and then uh, Passion City Church. We're part of the original team that planted that in Atlanta and honestly, just trying to follow God and trying to say yes to the things we felt he was asking us and times it felt thrilling at times it felt costly but the great thing was that wherever we went we saw the kingdom of god at, at work and and we actually saw the gospel that the gospel works it doesn't matter if you're 12 of you in a room which we were in england in a little village starting out um with not a lot in our hands or if you're a big team in atlanta and three and a half thousand people show up to your first sunday uh, meeting it you know we've seen all different sorts of church planning but the main thing is we saw that the gospel works if you put the gospel in front of people it bears fruit and it and it and it um you see the good news of jesus at work in people's life and it so looking back like i say some tough moments and some amazing adventurous joyful moments uh but overall just feels like a thrill to see the kingdom at work and, and actually more than that because we've got to travel the world um i just love you could show up in asia africa australia you know and and you just see a little glimpse of god building his church and you see maybe slightly in a different way or you, you 
we've got to be in so many different streams of the church ministering alongside them and man it's just amazing to see the you know even then you're just scratching the surface you're just really hearing a tiny whisper of the thunder of what he's doing in his kingdom but it's amazing you get to see the breadth of the church and kind of across denominations across cultures you could argue there are, there are Christians that are quite tribal and quite kind of, this is my theology, this is my denomination, and they don't always get exposed to what God is doing elsewhere. And I suppose that's a huge part of why we exist as a, as a Christian magazine and Christian media organization is trying to expose people to a wealth and, and breadth of, of Christian thinking. What are some of the things that you've learned from being in environments where perhaps you wouldn't naturally be comfortable or even environments yeah. that might have pushed you a bit theologically. Can you tell us some stories or share some insights from how you've, I guess, how you've grown in your Christian faith through being exposed to that that breadth of church? Yeah, I think that um, if you go in with the right approach, you can actually learn a lot. You know, and I think um, some of the, you know, I, like like I say, we've been involved right from. Catholic and High Anglican Church, right to to Fulham, Pentecostal. I've hardly ever heard anything. I think, oh, that is really off theologically. There's some things I think I wouldn't necessarily um, say it that way. I wouldn't ascribe to that, you know. But normally, um, the main and plain stuff you can pretty much agree on, and you can find a lot of common ground. And interestingly, worship is a very unifying thing because you're all looking in one direction together. And actually, in worship, you tend to take your eyes off yourselves and the differences you might have, and you tend to focus on the glory and grace of God and the story of God and who Jesus is. And actually, these are all very unifying things. And like I say, you you end up looking in the same direction together. You could argue that mission and prayer are also very unifying for the same reasons. Um, and for me, even in moments I thought, I am really not in my... Uh, comfortable place in this stream. This you, you walk away and you still learn five percent. You think, oh, I love how they did that, though. Or, I love their approach to this thing, and um, and I remember being one time uh, with my daughter Maisie, and she just come from a really fantastic kind of creative course with some of the real trendy streams of the church. And uh, she'd been really fired up by that and inspired. And I took her into this very um, conservative uh, environment uh, for a conference. And I was a little bit worried, like, how is she going to take this? You know, this is, this is so different from what she has been in the last couple of weeks, and it's very alien to her. Um, and I looked around in the worship, and she was crying. And I it was surprised me. And I, I said, oh, what was going on? on with you in the worship she said it was just the reverence she said I'm, I'm not used to experiencing that amount of reverence being expressed and I just thought it was so touching and it moved me deeply and and I thought man that's really fascinating isn't it I, I had thought oh she's 20 years old this isn't going to be her vibe but actually uh, it brought out something new for her and I think that happens so often where even the places you think this isn't really my normal fit um you can walk away and thinking i i learned something from the way they did this certain thing yeah yeah absolutely and it strikes me in, in your own music as well you you've written songs on that on that spectrum if i can put it that way you've got kind of undignified i will dance i will sing 
jumping around stuff. Uh, and you you have got some very, very reverent emphasizing the holiness of God's songs as well. So clearly you think there is, there's room for all of that. Yeah. I mean, for me, that's a bit of a lifelong pursuit, honestly, trying to bring reverence uh, a little more into these, these, these expressions of, of songs, um, the way we do it, because I think that's what's been lacking. Um, I think several reasons for that in terms of the genre, you're already starting with a harder challenge than if you're in a cathedral, um, you know, feeling small, looking up, seeing grand architecture, uh, massive pipe organ, that stuff already speaks of something bigger than you. Um, so when you're standing up the front with acoustic guitar, you've got to work really hard. Uh, you maybe don't have the visual and the aesthetic and maybe even the sound uh, element. So you've got to work really hard, and I think especially on the lyrics. You've got to really try and paint a big picture of God through through your lyric. Um, and uh, we have a song, the opening song on the new album, it's called The Praise Is Yours. And trying to um, talk about really the story of God in the song, because my realization is a lot of the problem is that we just, in our worship songs, we tend to just talk about me and Jesus here and now. So a lot of our songs, and there's nothing wrong with that. It's beautiful. But if that's all you ever sing, that's problematic. And so trying to say, right, okay, I don't want this song just to be about me and Jesus here and now. We're going to sing about not just the God of today, the God who is. We're going to sing about the God of yesterday, today and forever, the God who was and is and is to come. And so in this song, we kind of go before creation, we do creation, we do the cross, we do the resurrection, and we try and go right through, uh, open up the story a bit um, with the thought that if we do that, it's going to give people a higher view of God. It, it strikes me really, as you say, right from the get-go of the album, you're trying to do that. I mean, I noticed that the opening words of the whole album are infinite, self-existent, beyond the end, before the beginning, eternal one. Uh, and you've spoken before about the need to sing about the attributes of God that aren't immediately beneficial to us. And, and you've spoken before yeah. about it's easy to sing about God gives me joy and God gives me peace and isn't God faithful. But will yeah. we sing about the attributes of God that are just about God as king, God as eternal one, God always being there? Uh, and it strikes yeah. me that, that that's a, I think that's a very fair observation, certainly of a lot of churches, a lot of my Christian experience here in the UK. We aren't always singing those songs that are just about God's holiness and as you say, this has become a bit of a lifelong pursuit, bit of a bit of a campaign for you. It's clearly something you feel strongly about. Yeah, absolutely. I I love singing songs where we don't even get a mention. We're not even really in the picture. I mean, and some of those songs really resonate with us and we don't know why, but when you break it down. So one would be How Great Is Our God by Chris Tomlin like years ago. I mean, that song had something to it. And you couldn't, it was like the, the song was greater than the sum of the parts. It wasn't that the mel melody was the best melody you ever heard or it was great. It wasn't that the lyrics were like the most phenomenal thing you'd ever come across, although they were great. But it was something about the sense of the song. And I think when you break it down, a lot of it was like, it's a very reverent song where we are not at the center and we actually don't even get a mention in the whole song. And sometimes that's a really good practice. And then... You know, we sing about that, and then and then then you start singing about the heartbeat of God, of mercy and grace. You sing about the cross. You sing about the Father, heart of God, 
And that stuff means so much more because we've painted a, a picture. We've, we've created a context of a God who's living in an unapproachable light and he's majestic and mysterious in every way, far off the charts of anything you could fathom or imagine. And then, he, then we see his heart and we see his love for us and his kindness, his grace, and his goodness. And that stuff just feels even more compelling because how can it be that someone like him would want anything to do with people like us? And, and that's the mystery of the gospel, right? But when you can sing those two together, the friendship and the fear, as I said a lot of years ago, that gets really exciting. Too many of us are living in a bubble and not hearing both sides of the world's important stories. It's time for a more rounded perspective, balanced, relevant. Discover fresh biblical perspectives as we bring you wide-ranging stories that impact the church, wherever you live, however you worship. Discover the go-to source for Christian news. Subscribe now at premierchristianity.com. Now only five pounds for three months. I know a lot of people in the church world, including church leaders, will sometimes point out that people leave churches not necessarily remembering the sermon, but they will often leave church humming the tune and remembering the lyrics of the songs. And um, I know you'll be aware of that. And, and every worship leader I've ever spoken to will talk about the importance of theology in, in music. Do you have a kind of process for that? I've, I've spoken to different worship leaders, have different techniques on this, whether it's a, a theologian checking over their words or or other kind of safeguards around yourself to make sure that what you're asking other people to sing about God is is absolutely true and as, as biblical, biblically solid as possible, I suppose. Yeah, there's a lady called Marva J. Dawn, and she said, uh, we may never sing the whole truth in worship, but we must never sing untruth. And she's right. Like, you, we're never really going to be able to sum God up in the song. And there's so many facets to his nature and um, character and being that there's no way you're going to be able to get to all of it, but you mustn't sing anything that's untrue or misleading or, um, or the other thing would be to go off the deep end. So you swing to the pendulum of, um, on the pendulum, you swing to like, um, imminence, but you never sing of transcendence. And so you got to keep all these things in balance. Yeah. And I, I do, I do agree that, um, for, you know, looked at, you know, that in a kind of more negative way, we could do some damage if we're not singing the right stuff. I mean, a new, a new believer walks into the church, they're going to be singing things for 30 minutes that are going to them something true and inspiring and amazing about, about God, or, or they're going to be misleading and not helpful. And so it's very, very important. Um, and I think, um, on the positive side, when you get it right, it's so beautiful. You can, you know, a good lyric can be like a, uh, you know, a lightning, uh, or like a light bulb going off in someone's mind or something, just, or, or heart like, oh, I never knew that about God, or I never saw it like that. For me, the ultimate um, compliment would be if someone says, oh, your song, I kind of knew that about God, but it helped me see it in a new way. Or I knew that about God, but I didn't know how to say that. And your song helped me do that. We have a song called Son of Suffering on the new uh, record. And it's really, um, it's a song about the cross, but actually the the other element to it is a song about God's um, empathizing with our pain and God, you know, um, 
showing solidarity with the things that we go through. And it just struck me one day, uh, I was actually trying to write a song about blood, sweat, and tears. I was thinking that would be really cool. And, and the sweat element for me was like Jesus turning over the tables in the temple. And then I realized uh, one day, this is tricky. And if I take the sweat part out, this thing gets a whole lot easier. If the song's just blood and tears, I can write a song about God um, identifying with our suffering. And actually, he knows what it is um, to walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And he he knows what it is to suffer and 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 to to weep and even to bleed. And uh, amazing, really, to think that there's God who 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 does this. You know, most people's view of God would be like he's so detached and um, distant. Uh, and even though he is high and holy, it's incredible to think that he walked the dirt that we walked. Um, he suffered in some of the ways that we suffer, and he knows what it is to be in agonizing pain. Um, and, uh, and I actually chose to, to do that. So, so this song is an example of one where I've had a few people remark, um, yeah, I haven't really thought, I knew God was interested in me and that he felt um, a heart of compassion for me when I'm going through pain, but I didn't actually think through that actually he's been there. He's walked the path I've walked. He fully empathizes uh, with, with what I'm going through right now. So that would be an example of a song where you're hopefully um, leading people into something truth, uh, true yeah. and meaningful. And as you say, that that compliment of someone saying, I've never quite saw God that way or understood that, but the song brought it alive. And and I suppose for me, in, in listening to the singles, I mentioned at the beginning, Halfway Empty is my personal favourite. And and part of it is for that reason, is, is the poetic way in which you say your grace is not even halfway empty. It just gives you a different way of thinking about the theology of grace, but it does it in a... And it's because the melody is so beautiful and, and it's so poetic, it, it does actually add something. And when you get that combination of the music being special and the lyrics being special, it, it just it just resonates, I think, in a in a in a wonderful, wonderful way. Um uh, that's tell, so encouraging. Tell me a bit about how that how that song came about. Just for me, Matt, just for me. Not not for anyone yeah. listening, just because that's that's my personal favourite. I want to hear about it. <laughs> so uh, what was interesting was I was at the Dove Awards doing um, a version of 10,000 Reasons with a rap hip-hop guy called KB, who's a brilliant guy and very missional and but phenomenally talented performer as well. And it was quite funny because he, he does this version of 10,000 Reasons called 10K, which is a big whole remix thing and new approach to it. And he asked me, he phoned me up and said, hey, I, I've been asked to do the Dove Awards, but I only want to do it if you do it with me. And I was like, okay, tell me about this. And he was trying to get me to rap. <laughs> and he, he was like, no, you just do like, you just do four bars. We fine. I'm going to teach you. I was like, mate, I am not rapping. And he kept, he kept, he, he had two or three attempts to try and draw me into this. He's like, I've got you covers. We can even rap that part together. He goes, everyone will love it. I was like, everyone apart from my kids and my kids will probably never speak to me ever again. So I put um, I firmly shut the door on the on me uh, rapping, but uh, but the beautiful thing that happened was his producers were there, um, and had a lovely connection with them. Uh, found out what lovely worshippers they were, but 
and and just brilliantly skilled songwriters and producers. So we decided we work on something together. Um, so a few months later, I was in hospital. Uh, my daughter was having an appendix out, and while she was undergoing surgery, uh, they had sent me this song idea, and they actually had that lyric in it. Um, uh, uh, Grace is not even halfway empty, and I immediately that just resonated with me. It's funny because often lyrically, I'm uh, when when I when they were going to send me something, I was expecting it would be more the melody that would be compelling to me because I know how gifted they are, and often I'll be the one leaning into a lot of the lyric, but. But that line, I thought, we can build a whole song around that. That's just a beautiful uh, idea. And if and I like that it's kind of in normal language. You know, it's in the Psalms, David's singing about shields and spears and swords because he was a soldier. He's singing about she- sheep because he was a shepherd. And, and, and I love it sometimes when we can employ normal language. Um, so uh, I sat there while my daughter was in surgery and I, I wrote most of the other lyrics of the song and a few other parts and we collaborated and what you hear now is is what came out so there's uh three people uh called um west writer quinton coblentz and linear spell y-n-e-a so we actually have a rapper to thank for that song uh well we have some producers who work with a rapper but yeah he i guess if if he hadn't phoned me then that song would never would have happened. Yeah. There you go. It was fantastic. You mentioned um, the Psalms just then. I wanted to ask you something connected to that. It was actually something that, that Bono, the lead string of you 2 said a few years ago. Um, and he was talking actually about worship leaders and about worship songs. And, and he, he kind of critiqued it. And he said, um, I'd, I'd love gospel songs to write a song about their bad marriage, write a song about how they're off with the government. Um, that's what God wants from you, the truth. The truthfulness will blow things apart, he said. And then he said, I'm suspicious of Christians because they lack realism. I mean, he's really putting the knife in here. But, um, I mean, is, what I wanted to ask you is, is there any truth in that criticism in terms of Christian music and focusing on on the good, whereas we have this songbook in the Psalms, which is full of some bad and some God help me and, and crying out. And almost is, is our worship music too too optimistic too joyful which sounds like a silly thing to say but i i just wondered what you made of that kind of critique that was coming from someone like bono of of he felt it needed to be more honesty in christian music yeah i mean in many ways i definitely accept that criticism because if you compare what we're writing to the psalms there's a brutal honesty in the psalms there's a rawness um and that's definitely something we should look into uh, firstly because that's where a lot of people are at in life so it would be culturally relevant to do so but secondly because it's biblically relevant like it's amazing um, how much those psalmists wear their heart on their sleeve and how honest they are not just about their situation but how honest they are about how they feel about it uh, in regards to God they get angry with God I mean I don't think I've ever heard a worship song uh, that's like that, and um, and most of them at some point return to reverence and acknowledgement that God's in control, or a decision to praise Him, even though they don't understand everything going on. But they're definitely powerful because of that. That maybe, that maybe it's honesty. because, but maybe it's because they're so personal. I mean, you could write a song that was from the heart and was honest about yeah. a particular 
point in time where you were angry with God. But if you turn up to church and sang that and I walked in and I might think, well, I can't resonate with this at all because I've had a really good week. Is it, is it just yes. because they're so personal and you're trying to write corporately for everyone and try to find things well, that, that are true that everyone can say at once? Yeah, I mean, the answer to that would be um, that we have to weep with those who weep, rejoice with those who rejoice. So we, we, we don't have to wait to a weekend where everyone's had a terrible week to sing that song because we can sing it and... Um, stand in solidarity with those who have had that kind of week but the other side of this is as a writer i actually have written about my darkest moments and songs but you just don't know it you know and the reason is because i'm trying to write in a way that's specific enough for it to feel like an explosive moment of the heart from me but i'm not writing so specifically that other people can't attach their own stories to the soul you know i'm trying to write in a way which um can hopefully do both so there are there are songs out there. We just you just haven't released them yet. No, I have I have released them, but I was saying, you know, like uh, there's there's language which is you know me talking about the hardest things I've ever been through, but I don't actually name what that was. And part of that is not just because I don't want to self disclose or I'm being protective. Uh, it part of it is because I if I if I if I name particular things in a song, then it excludes almost everyone else from being part of that song. But if yeah. I say it in a way uh, which hopefully doesn't feel generic or boring, but it's not so specific that other people can't attach their own stories to it, then yes, and that's a yeah. win for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I noticed um, you, you've done a, as a lot of worship leaders have a lot of co-writing, I suppose, um, and and working with others. And um, I know it's one person particularly you, you co-wrote a lot of songs with Jonas. Jonas Myron yeah. is someone who's done a lot in the mainstream world. I know he's he's written songs for Nicole Scherzinger and Adina Menzel. I just wondered if if that has ever appealed to you. If you ever wake up one day and think, you know what, I think I've got a great pop song. It's not going to work in church because you know songwriting can cross genres, can't it? Do you ever have you ever felt any kind of an attraction to thinking I'm just going to spend a week writing writing something for Ed Sheeran? Uh, rather than for my local church, I gotta stay in my lane. You know, I I think um, I have a really strong sense of what my lane is, what I'm called to, and what I'm not called to. And for me, it does seem to be um, helping people sing uh, to God in in, in church environment. Um, but having said that, I have so many friends who work in the music industry or songwrite or play sessions and that and they have a deep burning heart for worship and for the church too and those are the people i most admire you know i i just love how um their faith and their connection to church is helping them really be a light in the industry they're in but at the same time working in industries keeping them sharp and challenging them creatively so they can bring something back into the church too. And so for the for any people who are getting that right, I think that's a huge blessing. But for me personally, I don't think that's my particular calling. And I think I would have you... figured it out by now if it was. <laughs> you have a very clear sense of your calling. How could you sort of boil that down to a few sentences? Is this something you sort of considered of, of my, my calling is? I think my calling is to write songs that help people see God and sing to him. And I'm trying to do that 
in the most creative and truthful way that I can. Yeah. That's a great mission statement. Well, what do you do on the days where the, there's a writer's block or the creative juices are run dry, whatever analogy you want to use, those, those days where it's not coming naturally, do you have ways of kind of getting out of that and getting back into that mindset? One word, co-writing. That's, that, is, that is one word, right? Just about. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you have it. <laughs> Just hyphenated. Um, honestly, it's co-writing. I don't think I have writer's block for years. And the reason is because on the days where I don't think I have something to bring or I'm not sure if I'm feeling inspired, I get in a room with one or two other people and suddenly it's flowing. You know, they've got something. They've got a song starter. They've got an inspiring idea. They were reading this Bible verse which came alive to them and they want to write a song about that. And, you know, it's it's actually fantastic um, dynamic. I, I don't, you know, it's people always ask about, oh, do you get a writer's block? And I say, it sounds arrogant, but no. But why it's not arrogant? Because it's nothing to do with me. It's because of fellowship and community and co-laboring with other people. I don't know if you, you've ever had an inkling before songs are released that, that some of them in particular are going to go big. I mean, I think back to 10,000 Reasons. I mean, you know, I, I lose lose count of the statistics around that song. You have to tell me, but it is mind-blowing just how many people have sung that song um, and how God's used that song. You know, I don't know if you had any kind of inkling before that came out that that song would blow up. Uh, and looking at this track list for this new album, are you thinking, I think this song or this song is, is really going to resonate with people to such an extent that it could become the next 10,000 reasons. You know, I am unbelievably bad at figuring out what songs are going to land well with people, resonate with them, if any of them are. I mean, like I am, I'm not exaggerating here. I'm terribly bad at this. Um, we can go way back to Tim Hughes' Here I Am to Worship. I, I was the first person in, on earth to ever hear that song. And I think my exact words were, it's quite good, mate. I don't think it's as good as some of you others. <laughs> and about two years later, it was the most sung song in the worldwide church. So Heart of Worship, I wasn't ever going to lead um, in, a, in a church service. 10,000 Reasons, I was not putting on the album. Um, I thought it was too... We wrote it so quickly, didn't have a pre-chorus, a bridge. I was thinking, there's no way this song is finished. And it was actually the producer, Nathan Knuckles, who said, hey, I don't care what song we're dropping, but this one's going on the, on the album. So I've learned to just not, I, I've learned to not trust myself on that. We'll just write the songs and see what happens. <laughs> well, we've spoken about three of them already, uh, which are the singles which, are, which have been out. And they are, as I say, The Praise Is Yours, Son of Suffering, and my personal favorite, Halfway Empty. Do you want to just chat us through... Um, a couple of other tracks that you're excited about. Although we're not predicting, we've been very clear, Matt, you're not predicting these yeah. like real hair. But um, yeah. just what I, you know, I know it's always hard. I've asked people this before and they say, Sam, you're asking me to like choose my favorite child. This is impossible. Um, but but just just choose one or two if you don't mind. Yeah, I'll scoot through a couple. Um, Hallelujah Holy wrote with a couple of Brits, uh, Nick Herbert and Sam Bailey. And um, we're trying to get into that reverence theme um so i love that one uh the song called unconditional which i wrote with uh henry seeley and cody Carnes, who are both at the belonging church in nashville and also matt meyer um and he leads it with me on the album he he flew in 
uh, to the mission there in San Juan Capistrano was part of that. And then the title song, Lamb of God, I wrote this with Jason Ingram and a guy called David Funk. Uh, Dave is also a co-writer on Son of Suffering and I have a lovely flow with him in, in, in songwriting. He, him and Jason have just got wonderful melodic instincts and I, I love how this song to get, came together. It's really just saying, hey, we've seen a lot of wonders around us, you know, blazing stars, um, you know, the ocean depths, the magnificence of that and all sorts of other things. But the, the greatest single wonder we'll ever see is, is the Lamb of God on Calvary. Well, we're really looking forward to hearing those tracks um, as the album releases this weekend. As you say, it's called Lamb of God. It's available in all the usual streaming places. I know something you've been um, uh, getting into in, in more recent times, Matt, is uh, your own podcast. Uh, now, obviously, the profile is available as a podcast, but we should we should recommend the second best podcast out there, which is Red and <laughs> Red. Adam, you've done you've done uh, one season already, and these are really honest and frank conversations about worship music. Very, very helpful for worship leaders and thinking through the practicalities and the theology, I suppose, behind leading worship. And it's really you and Jeremy Riddle's two friends um, having a having a conversation about these things. Um, I mean, from this side of the pond, I've heard a lot of worship leaders talk about how useful it's been. I assume you've had great feedback as well. Any more plans for? for that podcast and, and just trying to talk a little bit about what you're trying to achieve through that and why you're putting these conversations out. Yeah. The idea behind them was we were having some coffees and chatting about some of the things which we felt like we need to be addressed in, in worship. Um, even we've touched on some of the themes today, uh, uh, you know, transcendence and imminence and, um, but also things like, um, entertainment versus encounter. Like, what are we going for here? You know, and um, I guess the whole summary of the podcast is um, we've been trying so hard to get our worship songs into the world, but has some of the world got into our worship? And are, are some of the ways we're doing things, um, you know, not really along the lines of how you would operate in the kingdom of God? And so I think some of the conversations we get a little tough, we have a lot of fun too. And I love doing it with Jeremy, he's a good man. And, um, he has an intensity which I love being around. In fact, he has that intensity in every part of his life. Like we play this game pickleball together, which I don't think is huge in England, but it's massive out here um, and growing uh, the, the fastest growing American sport the last five years. Jeremy on the pickleball court is, with all his self talk, is just as intense as Jeremy on stage leading worship, or indeed on this podcast. And so, it's been a lot of fun to do that. I don't know if we'll do a second season. We definitely accomplished what we were trying to do with these first eight episodes. And it's a lot of talking. I feel like, I don't know if I, I think I've actually said everything I know. And I think if uh, <laughs> if we did a second season, you might realize I don't actually know anything else. This is everything I know can be said in, in six hours. So. <laughs> it's fascinating. I think quite brave to open up that conversation about entertainment or encounter and some of the ways the world has got into our worship because these things can be uncomfortable i forgive me if this is too much of a generalization do correct if i'm wrong but is there something of american entertainment culture that that is has been quite prevalent or can be quite prevalent in the in the worship scene and the only reason i say that is it's just a scale thing i mean if you're 
writing songs and touring churches in the UK, your, your tour will be finished within about three or four weeks because you've been everywhere. If you tour, if you tour America, you you can go for the whole year because it's vast. And and there is, as you know, there is a there is an industry, there is a a world of of record labels and producers and and marketing in in the US because of the scale of it, it doesn't exist in the UK. And so you end up with actually a, a big platform in, as you know, in the US com- compared to the UK. And you know, does that bring about challenges and even dilemmas for yourself personally and thinking about, I want to put God first and I don't want to be a, a celebrity, but there is a kind of machine around me that, that's job it is, is, is to promote my music and with that will come some fame. Yeah, you could definitely put an argument for the fact there's a little more enticement and distraction possible. Um, you know, I, I grew up doing this. There wasn't even social media, you know, I mean, and in England we didn't have quite the far-reaching Christian music industry that America's known for. So I always feel very grateful to have grown up in an, in an environment where um, there was a lot less potential for that distraction and enticement. And there still was some, but but honestly, it was a little bit uh, simpler for me than I think it would be for the average young person growing up and becoming a worship leader now. And then, like you say, maybe that's amplified in a place like America where there's more resource and there's more of an industry. And I think at the end of the day, it's all about keeping your own side of the street clean. You know, you, it's about you working on your heart, um, giving yourself some ruthless heart standards, trying to make sure that you don't get tempted or enticed or dilute down what God's calling for you was. Um, and it's about heart motive. Uh, and you know you can be caught up right in the middle of a big industry, and maybe not even everyone else around you is operating in the most wholesome way. But you could still operate in a healthy way. You could still make sure that you're trying to keep your own side of the street clean. You're trying to operate with pure heart motives, and that's that's the big challenge for all of us, whatever scenario we're in. I remember this John Wimber quote. He said the. Uh, the real challenge in these days will not be in the writing and producing of new and great worship music. The real test will be in the godliness and the character of those who deliver it. And he said that more than a couple of decades ago, but that rings true hugely even to, to this day. Yeah. Wow. That's a wonderful and uh, challenging thought. So just finally then, Matt, tell us a little bit about uh, what the future holds for you um making another trip back across the atlantic to 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 this side or uh, are you pretty set set in the us for now yeah we'll be over there in the summer which i'm um, from really looking forward to and off to singapore in march lovely church there called half god which we have the privilege of ministering at a few times and then apart from that new album coming out all the videos accompanying that um yeah i'm excited fantastic well it is out this weekend it's called lamb of god available in all the usual places so do check it out matt thank you so much for joining us on the profile it's been a real pleasure to chat absolute pleasure great to see you again you've been listening to the profile in association with premier christianity magazine